Welcome to MoneyMD, where the money doctors are in the house. We're giving out prescriptions for better financial health and making smart decisions with your money. We give common sense solutions to your complex problems. And now, here are the doctors. Well, Ron, we're into a great sports week here, aren't we? Oh, yeah, the Braves and Game 1 of the World Series. Man, their bats are cracking. Man, that, that, that leadoff home run for the Braves, that was amazing. And that's I, never happened in a World Series before. The leadoff hitter hits a home run. Yeah. 117 I, years. And I love the way they act like he acts like it's nothing. He just <laughs> jogs around the bases and, you know, no celebration or nothing. I'm like... That was amazing, yeah. Just so yeah, we got, work. Just another day at work. Yeah, so we're sitting here on Wednesday, so we don't know what happened on Game 2, but we got Game 3 tonight, Friday night. That's right. Um, so, hey, it's a great, great World Series, and a lot of other things going on. We got football uh, this weekend, of course. Georgia's playing Florida. Yeah, it's a big game. Uh, looks like Georgia's favored. Um, I expect them to win, but you never know with that rivalry. And with Clemson doing so poorly, I'm all about the Bulldogs this year. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, seriously. Somebody help those Tigers. (laughs) Right. Yeah, the Tigers are struggling. We're playing somebody. but (laughs) Carolina looks like they're off this week, so they'll get a bye week, which will be good. Right. Right. So lots going on in sports. So, yeah, hang on to that World Series. That will be exciting. And uh, speaking of exciting, we got some great topics to talk about uh, today. We're going to talk about how to deal with FOMO. Ooh, interesting. So. Yeah, FOMO. That's the fear of missing out. Oh, yeah. If you're not familiar with all the acronyms. And it's a big deal, Ryan. I mean, we see this all the time with clients that, um, you know, that just really, you can tell they're really pained by not having what's a little bit of, of something that's doing extraordinarily well. So, you know, and things that everybody's talking about that you know, cryptocurrencies or Tesla or something like that. So, we're going to we're going to talk a little bit about how to deal with that. It's really important that you'll be able to deal with the emotions of that fear of missing out cuz it is very powerful and uh and and it's it's doable. You can you can work around that without, you know, kind of selling your soul to to jumping on the bandwagon with everything you have. Yeah, look at you throwing around millennial terms, FOMO. Yeah. There you go. There you go. And we're going to follow that up with talk about talking about uh, health plans, right? Yeah, it's a little bit of meat and potatoes here, but it's that time time of year. You know, people are choosing health plans, open enrollments coming up, so we're going to do four steps of choosing a health insurance plan. So that will be yeah. interesting. Yeah, and it's the great time of year to do that with open enrollments. So um, good topic. By the way, I'm Steve Marbert. I'm a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey Smart Investor Pro with over 26 years of experience in financial planning and investment advice. And I'm Ryan Borders. I'm also a certified financial planner and a Dave Ramsey SmartVestor Pro. Yeah, and we're uh, excited to have you listen to us today on our weekly show. Um, we're up every Friday afternoon. And you can find us on our website um, through moneymd.net. Um, you can link to us there, listen to our show, send us your questions. Um, we'd love to hear from you. And we'll talk about those questions right here on the show. Um, well, we're going to start off here, Ryan, with the financial fact of the week, and that is um, Tesla's value hit over a trillion dollars on Monday. Wow. Um, yes, they surpassed a, a $1,000 per share. Um, I think that was after uh, Hertz placed an order for like a 100,000 mm-hmm. uh, Model 3s. Uh, but anyway, that made Elon Musk the richest man in the world um, on Monday, so... Yeah, Tesla is now worth more than 15 times that of Ford 
and four times that of Toyota, despite the fact that Ford, Toyota sold 30 times more cars than Tesla last year, and their revenue is more than 10 times that of Tesla. Goodness gracious. Interesting fact of the week. That's a so, very interesting Yes. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> Tesla has gotten crazy. I mean, the valuations have just... Um, really got nuts and it just shows how you know when people kind of pile on to something an idea that um it can really you know take off in value and uh it can go for a long time um but that doesn't mean you should put your retirement in it no and that leads us up to our first topic here (laughs) and that is how to deal with fomo right the fear of missing out i mean yeah when it comes to investing Ryan, I mean, one of the biggest problems we all face is staying disciplined and avoiding letting our emotions um, influence our actions. And unfortunately, one of the biggest emotions we all face is FOMO. It's the fear of missing out. You know, I mean, when we hear about Tesla hitting $1,000 this week, you can't help but think, wow, I wish I owned a bunch of that in my portfolio. Um, and we say to ourselves, you know, I, I, we say deep down inside, I knew that was going to happen. I knew they were going to do well. You know, I just should have bought it. I had that hunch, right? Um, you know, I won't let that happen again. You know, when I have that feeling again, I'm going to go buy that, whatever it is. Um, well, that's one of the most dangerous feelings we can have when it comes to our investments. You know, and as advisors, I mean, we really see the gamut of these emotions and these hunches that people have. I mean, sometimes... We'll talk to people on the same day who have these strong feelings in directly opposite directions. <laughs> you know, just last week I ran into this, I think. Um, you know, we'll, we'll have one that'll say, one person will say, um, you know, Bitcoin's going to 100,000 and he just has to get it despite, you know, the insanity. He knows it's going there. And then I'll have another client that'll say, Sure, you know, the market is in for a crash because government spending is rampant out of control. Yeah. And, you know, so you just get these opposite feelings that people have very strong feelings. Um, and, 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 you know, people, you know, they succumb to that a lot of times. So you have to be careful. <clears throat> and there's always logical explanations on both sides of the coin as to why those feelings could be right. But you know, both can't be right. I mean, the truth is usually somewhere in between. That's exactly right. And there's a lot of psychological studies out there that show, you know, fear is one of our strongest motivators. And there are different types of fear. So there's fear of physical harm or real loss that motivates us to take, you know, all kinds of precaution and spend a lot of money to protecting ourselves, right? You know, security systems, things like that, maybe owning firearm or something like that. Sure. But there's also the fear of missing out along um, with social dis- you know, disapproval. Um, which is also a very powerful motivator. Uh, when the market is doing well, no one wants to show up to Thanksgiving and you know have a family discussion about you know the stock market and feeling left outside, you know being left out of the excitement of a good year. So worse yet, you know your uncle Bob brings up how well X Y Z you know stock is doing this year. You know we all want to say yeah, you know I have some of that too, and it's been amazing. So yeah, that fear of missing out is really powerful. <clears throat> um, and, you know, it reminds me of back in 1999. Um, you know, I know uh, a lot of you out there listening can can remember this. You know, Y2K was coming to a boil. Um, the dot-com, you know, bubble was on the verge of busting, although bursting, although nobody really recognized it at the time, or a lot of people didn't. You know, and an example of that frenzy was in the dot-com companies, um, there were 17 of them 
that uh, most of them, they were unprofitable, that purchased expensive ads in the 2000 Super Bowl. Um, and, you know, just compare that to um, the next year. There were only three companies that purchased ads the very next year after the bubble burst. Um, so, yeah, it was really coming to a head. It seemed like everyone back then <clears throat> was talking about, you know, the money they were making in technology stocks, um, you know, companies with no earnings, but, you know, dot com in their name were skyrocketing in value. And stay-at-home parents were doing day trading. <laughs> you know, people with no investment expertise were exchanging stock picks, you know, with each other at restaurants and family gatherings. Hmm, sounds yeah. kind of familiar. It sounds very familiar. Yeah, I mean, people spoke about the new economy, which, you know, unprofitable companies could do, you know, very, very well because, <clears throat> you know, there was value in their in their economic currency, you know, and then their clicks and the networks, you know, and in earnings really didn't matter that much. Um, so, I mean, yeah, sounds a little bit familiar <laughs> today. And so, yeah, times at the time, advisors like me were struggled, str struggling really to help clients stay disciplined. You know, we urged them not to get caught up in the euphoria of the surrounding tech stocks, you know, as we reallocated their portfolios to maintain a diversified strategy. And it was a tough sell. sell. You know, some clients um, were unimpressed by our advice. And, you know, they were envious of the tremendous gains that some of their friends or acquaintances were enjoying as they plowed into these you know, tech stocks. So it really was a crazy time back then. Yeah. And of course, we all know how the story ended and the market continues to climb into 2000, peaked in March, and then it declined 49% over the following two plus years. Growth in tech stocks declined uh, precipitously with the, Na uh, with the NASDAQ falling 77%, goodness gracious, from 5,000 points to 1,139 points. And it didn't recover uh, its peak until April of 2015. It's 15 years later, Steve. My goodness. Yeah. Uh, in retrospect, the dot-com bust was inevitable. Uh, you know, how could the values of companies with no earnings rocket past established profitable ones? You know, so sure, some companies like Amazon emerged from the ashes and did well, but the vast majority of the unprofitable high flyers were just vastly overvalued and, in general, uh, speculative frenzy of the late 1990s. Yeah, it was a crazy time, you know, um, and good behavior, you know, is the most critical ingredient of successful investing over time. Um, you know, and it comprises with sticking, sticking with a long term strategy and not getting caught up in the fear of missing out or or yet worse, just just greed. You know, I mean, being disciplined is the hardest at the market tops and bottoms. Um because, you know, near the bottom, I mean, fear can be all-consuming. You know, worries that the market will fall further combined with seeing your portfolio plummet in value makes staying or buying more stocks very challenging, as we saw just a year and a half ago in the bottom of the, of the uh, pandemic <clears throat> um, crash that we had in March of last year. But, you know, investing near the top is also challenging as well because, you know, greed kind of takes hold. You kick yourself for not having invested some in in those top stocks or sectors before they took off, um, including things that are based on pure speculation, like we're we're seeing some of that today. Um, you know, so you want to buy those hot investments to benefit from further gains, um, but you worry that you've missed the run up. And so, while the overall market continues to do very well, 
this year, you know, due to terrific earnings um, this year and in a good economy, we are starting to cer- certainly see see people willing to take an inordinate amount of risk, and it's due to FOMO. It's due to the fear of missing out. And so like the 90s, we're starting to see people who are no longer satisfied with the 6 to 10% return that markets historically have afforded a diversified investor that might not be all in stocks. Um, even with the terrific returns <clears throat> that more than double that this year, um, we still see some investors that kind of yawn at that and they want more excitement. Um, and we see people, you know, asking about, you know, cryptocurrencies, meme stocks, and a few high flyers like Tesla over and over, which are kind of reminiscent of some of these dot-com era stocks or even the Dutch tulip craze back in the 1600s. Yeah, I mean, history shows us that, you know, when the music stops and people's appetite for risk subsides, the values in these speculative investments will likely be decimated. I mean, that's what history has shown. Yeah, and so one question we get to is, does this speculative trend mean that the crash is imminent? And certainly not. While bear markets are inevitable, it is impossible to, you know, forecast, you know, the top reliability. And there's there are always small pockets of assets in bubble territory inside any stock market. Uh, you know, the next bear market might start tomorrow or years from now. We just can't predict that. Anybody that says they know when we are at the top is merely mm-hmm. guessing. And we see that over and over again in the news and uh, over the years. A case in point is Alan Greenspan's famous warning to uh, investors of irrational exuberance in the stock market. So while, we, while he was eventually uh, proven correct, the S&P 500 more than doubled between this warning in, in 1996 and its top in March 2000. And the tech-laden Nasdaq gained nearly 300% during that period. That's right. So he was a little early with that call, wasn't yeah. he? You know, 1996. And that's usually what happens. I mean, it's easy to look at the markets or look at stocks like Tesla and say, oh, my goodness, you know, their, their price is crazy. Um, you know, eventually it's going to come down. But timing that is a whole nother story. And so you just don't know how long it's going to take <clears throat> for things to turn and, um, and when you're going to see a top. And that's a truism with investing in the market, um, that it often continues its trajectory more than you anticipate um, on both the upside and the downside. And there's no reliable signal of when the market's hitting an inflection point. Even the historic valuation methods provide no reliable guidance for short-term you know, investing um, and when things are going to turn. And it's human nature to regret missing out on a good thing. Um, you know, it's difficult to hear other investors making hundreds, even thousands of percent returns in short periods of time with investments you missed out on. Um, <clears throat> and this fear of missing out, you know, FOMO, I mean, it can be overpowering. But resisting FOMO is vital to good investing behavior. It's completely aligned with Warren Buffett's advice to be greedy when others are fearful, be fearful when others are greedy. I love that quote. I do. Yeah, the truth is you don't need to do anything different if you are following a disciplined investment strategy. So instead of following the crowd, stick with the strategy that includes like rebalancing by taking gains from your high flyers and adding to asset classes which happen to be down. That's right. Yeah, and don't try to time the market by cashing out. And, and certainly don't follow the crowd in these red-hot speculative trends of the day. 
you know, adopt a long-term perspective, stick with your investment strategy. Great investors, they ignore the noise. They stay focused for the long-term goals. And, you know, this may not be as much fun and exciting as trading game stock or cryptocurrencies, but history teaches us that you'll be better off. And, uh, and we're going to give you one more piece of advice on this at the end of this segment here um, in our prescription of the week. So about about how to deal with FOMO. So great topic. But it is a very interesting topic. And that leads us up here, though, to our question of the week. Yeah, this one came in asking about debt. And so the question is, should I cash out my 401k to pay off my debts? And we're going to say no. And there's a couple of reasons why. One, you, you want to pay off debt the hard way because if you don't do the work, then it's easy to fall back into debt. So I'd say that's one of the big things. Just like losing weight, you know, there is no fast fix. And if you do something that's quick, it's always easy to go back into that. The other thing is, hey, you do take 10% penalty on top of taxes whenever you pull from your 401k, which can really hurt your returns and really crush your retirement plan. Um, so you want to be really careful. And you also miss on market appreciation, right? So it's right. We talk about it can really hurt that retirement plan. So we'd say no, don't cash out your 401k to pay off your debts. Yeah. And I'd even go a step further and say, don't even take a loan out on your 401k. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> I see people do that as well, you know, to consolidate debts. And it's the same problem. You know, you're, <clears throat> you're, you're trying to take a shortcut and, and, you know, even though the math may say maybe that that's a good financial move, it's, it's not in the long run because, you're not going through the debt snowball. You're not you're not going through some pain yeah. to get those paid off. Um, where it really affects your behavior, and it's all about behavior. It's really not about the numbers. You know, as Dave Ramsey says, you know, if it was if it was about the numbers, you know, you wouldn't be in this con- situation. Um, it's it's about your behavior, and and to change your behavior, you have to go through some pain. You have to diet the hard way, as you mentioned. You know, if you're going to lose weight. You know, liposuction doesn't work, you know, because <laughs> you put on more weight, right? Exactly. So, you know, you got to do it the hard way when it comes to to uh, reducing debt. So, but good, good question of the week. And that leads up here to our next topic, the four steps to choosing a health insurance plan. Yeah, and this comes from Ramsey Solutions. So, Steve, you know, it's the most wonderful time of the year. And no, I'm not talking about the holidays. You know, we're talking about open enrollment season. <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> That's right. That was right on the first in my mind about yeah. the best time of the year. That's I was, right. I was thinking World Series and football nope, here. Nope, it's open enrollment season, that magical time of the year when you get to compare your health insurance plans to see which one is right for you. Oh, boy. Uh, well, you got us. Obviously, that's not super exciting, but it is important. So we want to talk about four steps of choosing you know, your health insurance plan, things you want to make sure you're covering when you're looking uh, at getting a new health insurance policy. So the first thing we're going to look at today is, you know, you want to compare your health insurance plan networks. So we get it. Health insurance is full of all kinds of weird jargons, acronyms. It's like trying to solve a puzzle on the back of a cereal box without decoding without a decoding ring, if you remember those. <laughs> uh, well, consider this your health insurance decoding ring today, uh, because we're going to take you through various types of plans and how they work. Yeah. And so, you know, a first step might be if your employer provides health insurance to talk to your workplace health insurance administrator or maybe the agent they have. They should be able to explain to you what the choices are inside your health plans um, that are available to you. And if your company doesn't offer a health plan or if you're self-employed, you know, we're here to help you compare health insurance plans and and look at some of the options out there. And so that's one of some of the things we're going to go over 
um, right now. And one of the first choices that you have, usually with health plans, is you have the choice of a preferred provider organization, a PPO plan. Um, And the way that works is a preferred provider organization uh, health plan, it contracts with hospitals and doctors to create a network of the participating providers And these plans also have a coverage for doctors outside of the networks, but you're going to pay a lot more out of pocket if you use out-of-network doctors. So you don't want to plan on doing that. You want to be able to have all your doctors in the network. Um, So you need to check out the network very closely, make sure that all your doctors are in there, um, in the PPO group that's uh, in the plan, because, you know, that's, that's going to be really important. And, you know, emergency care is often an exception to the rule um, as well. So um, so usually that is covered regardless of whether it's in the PPO. But, um, you know, but they're real popular for people who, um, you know, have health insurance through work. Um, about 47% of covered workers are enrolled in a PPO. Yeah, so let's look at some pros and cons of PPOs. So the pros being, you know, most PPOs have a reasonable selection of providers to choose from in your area. Uh, just be sure you verify with, uh, with with which providers accept your plan prior to any treatment so there's no surprises because that can be a, a very big surprise if you don't verify that. Um, the cons really being, you know, higher premiums make PPOs more expensive than other types of health plans like HMOs. Um, and so the next would be a health maintenance organization. So HMO is the acronym. Uh, a health maintenance organization is a type of health insurance plan that only covers care from doctors who work for or contract with a specific plan. Uh, that means that unless there's an emergency, your plan will not pay for out-of-network uh, out care. HMOs are often restricted to a specific geographic area, so you'll, wanna, you know, so you'll be required to live or work within that service area. Yeah, that's right. And so... Um you know, the pros for health maintenance organizations um, are that, you know, you're going to have lower out-of-pocket expenses, um, and that kind of makes HMOs attractive. HMOs are more popular than some of the others we've seen, but they're not as popular as PPOs. PPOs by far are the most popular. Um, so, but there's lower out-of-pocket expenses, but the cons are there's not much flexibility. When it comes to choosing providers, you have to pretty much use the group that that's in the uh, health maintenance organization um, <clears throat> that they told you. So, you know, and you just pretty much have to stick with that. Um, but the next type of organization that you can use is an exclusive provider organization. It's called an EPO. Um, these are even rarer than HMOs, but they're similar to it in that there is a type of managed care plan um, where the services are only covered if you use the doctors, specialists, or hospitals in the plan's network, except for emergencies. And unlike HMOs, <clears throat> EPOs, exclusive provider organizations, they don't require a, a primary care physician referral to see a specialist. So you can go straight to the specialist. And, you know, this might be the right network for you if you want the freedom to see specialists without a referral um, and if you don't mind being limited to the health care providers in that network. Yeah, so the pro with this is premiums are usually lower and there's no need for a primary care provider referral to see a specialist, which is kind of nice. Uh, the cons are you're limited by a smaller network of health care providers. Most services require pre-authorization from the insurance company, so that can be a little bit of a um, con for you there. Uh, The next is a point of service, or POS. 
Um, a point-of-service plan combines the features of HMOs and PPOs by providing different benefits based on whether you use in-network or out-of-network providers. Um, a POS, uh, they do provide some coverage for seeing an out-of-network provider, and your PCP, your primary care provider, will um, coordinate the care. So the pro with this is you'll find more uh, provider options to choose from. Uh, your primary care physician uh, will coordinate with your special uh uh, coordinate your specialist care cons uh, referrals are required so that can be a con for you yep and then uh, so the next choice here though is to or the next step really is to compare health insurance plan categories um, and you know if you're familiar with the healthcare.gov um, they have these metal categories they have like gold silver bronze um, so when you're shopping for healthcare.gov on your state ex or on your state exchange um, the plans are shown in, in basically four categories. Um, the plans are tiered according to how much they cost and what they cover. So it's bronze, silver, gold, and then the top one is platinum, actually. Um, so keep in mind that, you know, you're eligible for cost-sharing reductions under the Affordable Care Act, potentially. So you have to pick a silver plan or better to get that reduction, to get that stipend if you qualify for it. Um, and it's good to know, you know, that the plans in every category provide some types of free preventive care, um, like free annual checkups, for example, and, you know, some other free or discounted health care services before you even meet your deductible. So some things are going to be free, you know, under the Affordable Care Act. And uh, the way it basically works, though, is that the bronze plans have the lowest monthly premiums, but the highest out-of-pocket expenses. Mm -hmm. um, and as you work your way up through silver, gold, and then platinum categories, you'll pay more in premiums, but you'll have less in deductibles and coinsurance. Yeah, however, the extra costs in the silver category can be minimized if you qualify for cost-sharing reductions. So you want to make sure you're getting the maximum value of those reductions when you're shopping uh, for health plans. They can be substantially lower, uh, lower your out-of-pocket health care costs. So make sure you talk with an agent. If you don't have one uh, in mind, consider looking like at a Dave Ramsey endorsed local provider to help you uh, make the right decision for your health insurance. Um, they can help you find what you're eligible for. So step three is you want to compare health insurance plan total costs. So uh, when you choose your health insurance plan, it's super important to pay close attention to other costs besides your monthly premium. Uh, amount, your out-of-pocket maximum uh, can be a big impact on your total cost. So let's go over these definitions real quick so everybody understands them. You know, a deductible, that's the amount you pay before your insurance company pays anything, you know, except for that free uh, preventative care we talked about. Copay is a set amount you pay for things like doctor visits or other services. Coinsurance is the percentage of healthcare services you're responsible for paying after you hit your deductible for the year. And then finally is the out-of-pocket maximum, the annual limit of what you're responsible for paying on your own. Yeah, which I think is probably the most important number because yes. that tells you what is your risk, you know, yeah. what is the most that you could possibly have to pay if you go have some major surgery at the hospital. Um, so that's good. Yeah. So the next step here and the final step is to learn how to save money on health insurance. You know, one of the best ways to save money on health insurance is to use a high deductible health plan, um, especially if you don't expect to reg regularly use or need a lot of services um, if you're pretty healthy. Right. So just like the name implies, you know, that there are health plans with high deductibles. They obviously cost a lot lower. They have lower monthly premiums. Um, 
but you will pay a lot more in out-of-pocket cost if you're before your benefits kick in. So, you know, you have to be pretty healthy to do that. But you can save a lot on premiums by using a high-deductible health plan. And you can also apply that high-deductible, low-premium strategy to any of the types of networks we discussed, HMOs, PPOs, EPOs, point-of-service. Um, but high-deductible plans, they, they can also be combined with a health savings account, which allows you to set aside money tax-free, and then you get a deduction for it, and you also get to use the money tax-free later for health-related expenses. Um, so, you know, so what does it mean, though, to be in a high-deductible plan um, is a good question. Yeah, so the IRS defines that as for an individual at $1,400 for your deductible and a family being $2,800. Uh, so uh, that's what a high-deductible plan is defined as. Um, and then uh, the main thing is if you have that, you can do the HSA, which we've talked about on the show before. Uh, but the main thing is an individual can contribute up to $3,600 uh, and actually starting next year, 3650 for individual. And next and for families, it'll be 7300 um, and what's really great about the H- HSA is the money rolls over if you don't use it. And you can be you can even invest the money in your HSA so it grows tax-free, which is awesome. So being able to open an HSA is great for your future. And so finally, if you have any questions, you want to get help. So you want to talk to an independent agent or look up a, a Dorse local provider from Ramsey to make sure you're making the right decision when purchasing health insurance um, to make sure you're ready to go for 2022. Yeah, and like we talked about earlier, go to healthcare.gov, you know, check out the plans there. And um, yeah, I mean, that's kind of the first step if you're buying insurance on your own. So good topic. And that leads up here to our final thing, and that is the prescription of the week. So, you know, circling back to our previous discussion about FOMO, the fear of missing out, you know, if you're experiencing that, um, one way to deal with that is to open a small brokerage account, you know, maybe at E-Trade or Robinhood or someplace like that, and then buy a small amount of the stock or the, you know, uh, security that you're, that, you're, that you're fearful of missing out on. You know, if you're enamored by, you know, Bitcoin, um, you can buy a Bitcoin ETF, um, you know, and, and don't put a lot of money in it. I mean, we're talking about thousand dollars or less right Um, something you can afford to lose something that's not going to affect your retirement um, and just buy a little bit of it you know and 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 then you get to participate in that discussion at thanksgiving you know about that about how great that's done or how poorly it's done because it can definitely you know go the other way but you know if it's if it's bitcoin or if it's tesla stock or if it's some meme stock out there just resist the urge to put your serious retirement money in it and in these speculative investments just buy a little bit of it in a small brokerage account satisfy that itch and then keep your serious money diversified absolutely yeah that's your prescription of the week all right that brings us to a close for this week's edition of money md tune in next week to hear more prescriptions for your financial health check us out on our website moneymd.net you can link to us there send us your questions we'd love to hear from you and we'll talk about those right here on the show or you can give us a call at richard young associates at 706-739-0725 thanks for listening have a great weekend This program contains general information only and should not be taken as specific investment, tax, or legal advice. This broadcast is not a solicitation for the purchase or sale of any security. SmartVestor Pro is not connected to investment returns. Further information is available by contacting Richard Young Associates, a registered investment advisor. 